McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and what's Pure Forecast episode 157? Well, the Blues are still unbeaten, and say it quietly, we are top the league. Say we are top the league. Join the podcast today, Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Yeah, not too bad. Only 40 games to hold on. <laughs> We're basically up. <laughs> yeah, not too bad. Thank you, my friend. How are you? Yeah, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I did did manage to prevent our the next co-host I'm gonna bring into the podcast from printing any t-shirts. Stop the count for Eddie Webb. How are you, mate? <laughs> yeah, I know top of the, t- the table. Can't believe it. I know it's only six games, but we're gonna ignore that, aren't we? But we're also top of the expected goals table. So we may as well, may as well get the champagne out for the promotion now, shall we? That's what matters, isn't it, Andy? The top of the expected goals table is what matters. I genuinely, Freddie, I'm not taking the mic here. Would you rather we got promoted or we won the XG League? Genuinely, what? No, is get promoted, obviously. Are you sure? Yes, sometimes I'm not. I, I am sure. sure. Well, well, does it help, Andy, that we've also, I think, got uh, with the joint top scorers as well? So it's not just the expected goals; it's both. Oh, Freddie, you, you must better. be in an absolute world of moistness from the stats <laughs> that you're picking up so far. How are you dealing with it? Also, I just wanted to comment, Fred, about your giggle. It is one of the most endearing things. I've never heard such an endearing giggle come out of a man with such a woolly beard. It's just you wouldn't put the two things together if you heard them and saw them separately. Uh, I'll leave that up to people who see me in real life to figure that out. I don't know, I don't know what to say, so that's to be fair. Well, it's about as big a compliment as I've ever paid you, Fred, so we'll, we'll hang on to it. Very kind. It's very kind. I'm bringing another. I'm bringing bringing another little cheeky giggle, Andy. I'm quite disappointed we didn't manage to release the Port Vale podcast that didn't go out last week because I managed to slip in a little porky that you were actually out there punting as your new hobby. You know, on those boats of the river to an education professional who also works for Keel University. He was on our uh, on our podcast. I didn't manage to get that one out in the public, unfortunately. So I uh, thought about saving that for later. Since we were talking about giggling, Freddie's face is a picture. Thanks, mate. Yeah, I was actually sat down on the, on the canal the other day in Oxford watching people do that, thinking how I couldn't really imagine any worse way of spending my afternoon than being on one of the punts. Because you either... You can basically either do it yourself in Oxford. It's a very Oxford thing to do, obviously, and tourists just love it. I I swear more tourists do it than locals. You can either hire someone to do the punting for you, which is a lot safer, but means you have to make awkward small talk with some randomer from Oxford University with crew written on their back, or you do it yourself and you look like an absolute tit punting around the canal with people on the bank just willing you to fall in and... That's just either way. It's just not my vibe. But um, funny enough, you should mention that. Yeah, I was uh, I was watching people and just 
Ah, uh, there was an episode of Scrubs years ago where the janitor thinks he's got the power to make people fall over and he clicks his fingers and someone falls over and he thinks he's magic. I was basically doing that, but with people falling if falling in off the punt. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have that skill, but... Did you actually see anybody fall in or was it... No, was it but sensible? we were di- we were discussing how often it happens because enough people are standing on the wrong end of the punt, which is, they stand on the front instead of the back um, and then punt it that they're in reverse the entire way around and it just makes the punt chronically unstable. And the number of people doing that who did not look stable, the amount of children almost falling in who were being forced to take part by their controlling fathers who were like, no, you will do this and you will have fun. And the child's crying and the dad's like, no, 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 you're not wussing out. You will do this. And the kid's like, I hate my life. Like the amount of that going on, someone must fall in every day. They must do. This is, um, in case anyone was listening and wondering, this is not the PO forecast. This is the Oxford <laughs> Living podcast. This is what it's turned into. Um, we're doing a strange place, mate. We're going to do one beautiful green space walk every week. Next week, we'll cover the university parks. You, you're the second most famous uh, Oxford-based podcaster then after George Ellick, are you? Is he also in the Oxford Living um, podcasting? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm second of, second of two, mate, I believe. Yeah. All right, let's crack on with the actual Pompey podcast. So, uh, first of all, we're going to review the game against Port Vale. Following on from that, we're going to talk about the exhilarating penalty field draw with Crawley. And then we put a question out to you guys, and we said the transfer window is looming tomorrow. And if you're listening to this now, it's probably today. Who do you think Pompey should sign? Where do we need to strengthen the transfer window? And finally, we're going to preview the game. On Saturday, the massive matchup which everyone's looking forward to against Peterborough. Right, boys. Port Vale. It wasn't a classic by any means, was it? But it was a util- utilitarian win for the Blues. Andy, did Pompey ever really need to get out of second gear? Was it a case of just managing the game or was it something that, you know, they should have picked the tempo up more? Yeah, it was one of those games that was never going to be a pretty open, attractive, free-flowing game, was it, Port Vale away? They're obviously a club that, with no disrespect intended, they're going to be fairly happy if they stay up at the end of the season. So any point they get out of the bigger games, so the Portsmouths, oh my word, I just referred, referred to us in the plural, I hate it when people do that, Like games like Portsmouth or Sheffield Wednesday or Ipswich or Peterborough, anything they can get out of those games is going to be crucial to them towards the end of the season. So they'd have been quite happy with the point. So it was never going to be beautiful. With Ellis Harrison playing up top, it was always going to be fairly attritional as well. We know his particular style of, uh, well, let's just call it getting himself around a bit very, very well, as we saw in the first 10 seconds of the game. And it was never going to be pretty. So, yeah, the fact that we ground out that, you know, we ground out the three points, ground out the result, and got a game out of the way, which was a bit of a... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I nearly said magic carpet. That's just not what I need. That's just not what I mean. What's the one that's a bit of a slip that like you can slip up? What's it called? A banana skin. Banana skin. Banana skin, not a magic carpet. Thank you, Freddie. Big up long COVID for breaking my brain. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it could have been a bit of a, a I've forgotten the phrase again. Banana, banana skin. Banana skin. Thank you. I'm so clever. I teach people for a living. Can you imagine? Um, yeah. <laughs> it could have been a bit of a banana skin, to be honest with you. And I genuinely felt like the game was managed pretty well. The chance that was taken by Scarlett was taken clinically. It was sort of one touch, one pass, 
two touches finish it was very quick very clinical and very you know good level of in of incision which is what you need in this sort of game and maybe Pompey teams in the past you could argue have lacked that level of um clinic clinicability clin clinicalness they've not been clinical Cutting enough edge. Cutting, Cutting edge. edge, thank you, Hugh. This is going very well. You're not, uh, you're not winning. You're not winning dictionary corner, Andy. I'm going to put it out there at this moment in time. You know, yeah, I've, I've, um, I've got very little to respond to that. Ironically, I can't think of any words to respond, <laughs> which is definitely a bit of irony. <laughs> but yeah, look, I thought the game was managed managed pretty well. There were a lot of pros to come out of it, and at the end of the day, they did what they needed to do. And even if it's not pretty, you look back at the game. I mean, we just look back at the scoreline, really. And it was a 1-0 win. It's three points. It could have been more. You know, there were chances Pompey had um, to score another, another, at least one other goal. I don't know what our XG was for the game. I'm sure Freddie's going to um, be more than happy to jump in with that in a minute. And um, there were a couple of squeaky bum moments. I think there was almost an own goal from, well, it was a it was a Robertson getting turned and then Raggett cleared out for a corner off the back of his head or his neck or something. Uh, there were a couple of chances for Port Vale, but... Over the course of the 90 minutes, I'd say it was a standard away performance against the team who set up happy for a point. So, yeah, yeah. no no real complaints, to be honest with you. Well, you, you beautifully summarised the game. I'm not sure I'm going to go for it point by point. But... Was, it, was that really a summary? I feel like that was more of a, a monologue, sort of the length of a, I don't know, like a, a book, really. Well, <laughs> book it is. Um, starting at the, at the beginning, let's talk about... Ellis Harrison and clattering Morrison, Morrison in the air. I think it was literally seven seconds into the game or something like that. They both go down holding their heads. You know, it looks a bit serious. Obviously, Morrison tries to play on for a bit. I think, I don't know if it was the the, uh, the assistant, the the linesman or something who flagged at him or, or whatever, but he's obviously gone off with a concussion issue. I don't know if you boys have heard anything about, you know, any more news on that? Because I certainly well, haven't. I haven't seen any reports saying he's definitely out yet at the time of recording. But I think it was briefly mentioned after the game that um, he had dizziness dizziness in one of his eyes. And that was the reason why he came off, because he was seeing a bit double. So if it's, that's some, con- it's something we'll if discuss that's a little bit later on in the Peterborough mm. preview, uh, that whether or not there's been any update. Um, at the time of me speaking now, I don't believe there has been. But as Fred said, he was sort of seeing double out of, his, out of one of his eyes. I can't remember which one it was. Um, by the looks of it. And I'm not sure if it was the fact that the assistant flagged it or if Morrison flagged it himself. I would hope if he's seeing double, he'd flag it himself. But then, you know, he's a centre-back, so they tend to want to play through anything, don't they, really? But um, yeah, not sure if he's going to be fit or not. I would imagine if in doubt they won't because they'll be handcuffed by the head injury assessment concussion protocol. And if there's any doubt, they won't do it because, I mean, I'll, I'll touch on it later on, sort of the the problem with repeat impacts. So... I would imagine they won't take any risks whatsoever, quite rightly, to be honest. Yeah, so that's a bit sad. But obviously, Clark Robertson comes on, does a good job at centre-back, as we all know he would do. Let's talk about the Dane Scarlet goal in a bit of depth here, because the first thing to say about it is what a beautiful pass that is from Marlon Pack to lay the ball through. And throughout this game, Dane Scarlet caused him a lot of problems. To be honest, he had a few decisions go against him, which I thought really was quite harsh, actually. Some fouls against him. But obviously, Port Vale played quite a high line in this game and that really allowed him to play on the shoulder. And Pack sort of picked out that run. And we've seen Scarlett's movement being, you know, really good in, in games previous and not getting a goal from it. So it was really good to see the ball come through. And you just thought when he took that touch, was it going to be, 
you know, had he taken it too far or had he let it run in, in front of him too much and he just gets a leg out, puts it home, celebrates, little shush to the home fans like that, runs off, bang, bang, 1-0. Freddie Webb, what's your takeaway from that? Uh, excellent pass, excellent finish. I mean, Marlon Pack had a brilliant game in this game, I think. He's making passes and key chances that just, it's obvious that he's a step above this division in general. Um, we needed a player, Pompey needed a player like that for quite a long time. And it's great that Pack is able to do that. Not, not only is he able to stabilise the midfield defensively, but also create key chances from deep. So it was a great through pass to him. Lovely composure by Dane Scarlett because with the first touch, many strikers would have lost it completely because they thought they might have taken it too far towards the keeper. But no, he was able to prod it, but prod it past him for 1-0. Shushing the away fans, shushing the home fans, absolutely love that. Always love that. And we may as well bring this game in early, but since it's the main chance of the last two games, we're going to have guess the XG with Dane Scarlett's goal. For those keeping score, Hugh, I think, is 2-0 up in Guess the XG this season. I am so far. I'm less confident on this one, if I'm honest. It's worth noting that I definitely won last season. No one kept count, Andy. So does, yeah. that, does that not count last season? Okay. Oh, well, no one kept count. I'm just looking forward to I'm looking forward to my 42-0 defeat this year. And um someone calling for me being sacked and replaced, as they would be if I was in competitive sport. I've got a feeling you're going to win this one, Andy. So let's go for it. Andy, you're going first. I went first last time. So, okay, just for clarification, Fred, is this from the moment Scarlett first touches the ball or is it from the moment he takes his final touch, which is the shot? It's the shot, yes. Okay, well, his final touch before the shot was a heavy touch. Is it? I'm just trying to work out if it take, what it takes into account here because he had a heavy touch. So the keeper, I think, would have been favourite. When the his ball leaves touch. his feet. When the shot leaves his foot. Yes. Well, Fred, don't. No, it's not a stupid question. Don't look at me like I'm an idiot. No, it's friend. not a stupid question at all. I was nice to you earlier. Lesson learned. This is negative reinforcement, Freddie. Lesson learned. I will go with from the moment the shot leaves his foot. An XG. If a penalty is 0.75, as what I've learned from you, um, this completely random. Not point five. Two. I was thinking 0.45, Freddie. Hugh ex- extends his lead in Guess the XG. Um, very high XG chance by Scarlett, all things considered. Um, why Scott rate ranked it a 0.39, so just over a third. Oh yeah, so Hugh, Hugh's three nil up in guess XG, but there's but there's many many pods left for those keeping scores. So I'm not that relies on the fact of me turning up to any of them, Freddie. <laughs> Andy looks like a puppy that's been kicked down the stairs now. It worries me that you know what that looks like, Hugh. Uh, you... <laughs> <laughs> Daily. <laughs> all right, wait, but no, we're, but no, we're but we're all, all being serious though. I thought Scarlett had an excellent game. Um, moving in between the lines, it shows that as well even though he was he obviously got the ire of the referee a few times by decisions not going his way it's obvious that he's not going to be intimidated by league one defenders trying to muscle him off the ball or put harsh challenges in which obviously many people think about as a worry when of course we're bringing loan players from Premier League clubs he's shown that he can handle it 
And then he showed in the Crawley game that he's essentially earning the starting position at striker alongside Colby Bishop. And if that partnership keeps thriving as it has been, then Pompey are away, aren't they? Indeed. Let's talk about our mate Ellis Harrison. Because apart from concussing our, you know, start one of our star centre backs and running around, going down the box constantly, trying to demand a penalty, which as he did on numerous occasions, I thought, in this game. He obviously knows he's not going to score from open play. So he thought, maybe I've got a chance from the penalty spot. I can see him ready to pick that ball up. But he had a couple of chances, didn't he? He had some sort of like looping header that he tried to get on target. And it seemed that their game plan was to go wide and put balls into the box in order to him to try and create something in the air. He also seemed to match himself up against whoever was not playing with Sean Raggett in this game. I think Andy Moon was mentioning that on the, on the commentary that he didn't fancy himself in the air against Sean Raggett. So he just tried to, to muscle up against even Morrison or or Robertson in this game. And he didn't really get any luck as far as I was concerned, really. So, boys, did you ever feel that Port Vale were really going to score? Because I think some people have criticised the overall performance. But let's be honest here, we shouldn't be criticising it at all because they didn't really ever look like scoring, did they? Oh, apart from that one chance. Was that Harrison from distance? There was also a header by Connor Hall when Harrison put in a loop, a looping cross and it was the header from the centre of the box that went over the bar. That could, If it was a bit more... Um, if there was a cleaner header put on that, then that would have been... a higher chance but no that was the chance that Weisgat highlighted and what was um, that who who took that shot Andy Mitchell Moore when it, he blazed it from outside the box you remember and Griffiths sort of got down very awkwardly didn't he to, to make the save yeah but, I do remember the save I did watch the game uh, but I do not remember who took that shot to be honest knows? with you mate one of the many average Port Bell players that turned up in this game yeah I don't I, I don't think it ever there were, there were like little spells like there was a two minute spell here or there where you felt we were slightly under the cosh, but it never seemed panicky or sustained enough to really worry me. And kind of the similar vein to uh, the Bristol Rovers game. Was it the Bristol Rovers game where they equalised and I still thought we'd win the game? I do think that if Paul Bale had equalised, I still think we would have gone on to win the game. So I didn't feel overly stressed at any point. Talking about going on to win the game, Freddie, I thought Michael Jacobs looked very good coming on on the left wing. He did actually create some chances. He got he got a successful dribble, for instance, in, in the stats credit to him. He's only one of three players. He managed that alongside Scarlett and Mingy. Um, but he he came on, didn't he? And he sort of tried to be a little bit more direct in this game. He he played little chances where he could cut inside in the box and, and sort of tried to, to create something. It's quite impressive, isn't it, how we've got that depth in the left wing. We've got Jacobs there, he can come on, we've got Curtis, and it just shows that we have got that rotation in the squad. And I think that's how we can go and kill games off if needs be. Yeah, precisely. Again, I thought I thought Jacobs had a pretty dangerous game when he came on. He he seemed to have the shackles off a bit this time. Um being more aggressive in the dribble, like you mentioned, the successful dribble, not being afraid to take defenders on because it seemed like sometimes in some of the games that I've seen Jokers play this season he's been a bit more reserved and focused on retaining possession so he hasn't fully attacked the fullback as much as I would say last season but yeah I thought he had an excellent performance and the depth is there this season I think we've seen it in multiple areas of the pitch Pickett on the bench up front you have Hackett and Jacobs as wingers Mingi who came on and look, again looked sharp he's Definitely seems like the third and the fourth centre midfield option, I would say now. Um, it brings a lot of drive to that midfield, which I do like. And then you have other players coming in, Denver Hume back from injury. It's nice that Pompey 
finally have some depth in the squad, which they haven't had and fans have been arguing about for probably some years now. And some are still arguing about it because the transfer window's tomorrow. <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll have to see if we'll probably actually do anything. Yeah, we'll come on to that. All right, let's move into the Crawley game now. Tuesday night down in Crawley. First of all, I want to say when I was there, do not agree with the attendance figure they they uh, rang out. Said it was over 2,000 with 1,000 Portsmouth fans. I looked around in disbelief that there was actually 1,000 Crawley fans at the game because there certainly wasn't. There actually was not 1,000 Crawley fans there. There was just like a scattering across, through, across three stands. Moving on to the more important stuff, I suppose. Pompey started very sluggishly in this game. We had possession, but we didn't really have in, any intent to get the ball going forward. There's a lot of sort of lateral passes along the back line. We seem to struggle quite a lot to build any sort of momentum going forward, which is something that hasn't happened, I suppose, in previous games. And obviously you have to note there were 10 changes to the squad. So this was a different team. But when we look at the squad depth that we spoke about and how we've got impact players that come off the bench, etc., like that, I, I sort of expected us to start a little bit faster. Freddie... When you look at the team that we played, do you think that we'd start a little bit faster than we did against Crawley? Uh, I will say, before I speak about this game, I didn't listen to it or watch the highlights back because it's it's a B-team trophy game, so I have my principles there. I didn't. But looking at it, hey, in wait, general... Pause, 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 pause. Mm-hmm. What are you implying, Fred? Talking to... No, I just have people my personal... people that have watched all 90 my, minutes? No, my, my own personal principles. I don't expect anybody else to follow what I do. Hugh, do you think That's... you have principles? My principle is very lax, let's be honest, boys. Yeah, I don't think I have any at all. Okay, cool. In which case, Fred, fair point. Please carry on. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I think it's a different prospect to expect from the depth players when you compare it to coming on in a league game where the side is pretty much settled to a new side with 10 changes. I think that's slightly different. However, I would have expected them to play a lot better against a Crawley side that also rotated heavily due to injuries and putting their youth players in. I think, by all accounts, Danny Cowley was furious after the game and I've got a little transcript of some of the quotes he said and that was damning enough in itself. Um, Even though the referee's performance or lack thereof was one of the main takeaways, I think Danny Cowley's opinions after the game said it a bit differently. Yeah, no, when you're watching it, it was a very weird game. It felt like a friendly, if I'm honest. It felt like a friendly in the crowd. It was quite quiet, even though there was a lot of fans there. But yeah, we, we were struggling to get the ball down and pass it. And Crawley also looked pretty dangerous in the counter-attack. And in fact, if they actually had a couple of people who could finish the ball, they should have really been potentially 3-0 up at half-time. We looked quite defensively shaky at the back. And I'm, I'm struggling a little bit to understand why. One player I did highlight is I spoke to Matt, who was, who was there at the game with me, and I said to him that, well, I'm looking forward to seeing how Denver Hume, you know, picks up in this game. And he really struggled, to be honest, uh, in defensive coverage on, on at left back um, and ended up getting substituted off. Obviously, it's his first game back from injury as such. I don't want to pin too much on, on the young lad. But, you know, at the back, we looked pretty unsettled. And some of that could come down to the midfield as well with the tracking. It just wasn't really there. Joe Morrell struggled a lot in this game. He didn't have the same impact he usually has on the ball. And it was just one of those games you thought, well, we could potentially lose this one, one now. It'd be quite embarrassing. But there were some good points. When we changed it up and bought on Lowry, Scarlett and Dale, we added some direct pace. We had some impetus. We got on the front foot. We started passing the ball forward. Those players played off the shoulder. And you've got to say, let's get to it, Hugh, because now I'm rambling along. But 
Dane Scarlett's finish, Andy Mitchamore, because you were watching the game. What a beaut. That was a Premier League quality finish, wasn't it? Which is exactly what this team needed at some point. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was, I don't even know how to overanalyze it. It was first touch, drop your shoulder, lose your man, onto your stronger foot, and then bury far corner. That's essentially what it is from uh, from the edge of the box. Yeah, it was exactly that. It was incisive. It was clinical. I mean, I don't know what the standard of defending there on their from their from their defensive player was compared to how it would have been in, let's say, the Peterborough game in the weekend coming up. But you can only beat the man that's lined up in front of you or behind you. And in this case, yeah, drop your shoulder, one touch, turn, stronger foot, bang, far corner. In all sort of a split second, it was, yeah, clinical, really, really nice. And it's the sort of moment of quality that we're going to need to break down some of those more attritional games over the course of this season against teams who are quite happy to sit back and make our strikers collect the ball facing away from goal. That sort of touch turn finish is is going to be, you know, even if it picks us up one or two extra wins over the course of the season rather than a draw, those little moments are crucial. On on the point of the defence, I just wanted to say quickly here, if you look at sort of, you know, we talk about the the backbone of the team from time to time. So the back four and the centre midfielders, really, the defensive backbone and the goalkeeper as well. Um, you're looking there at Robertson, obviously, you know, a wealth of experience there. But other than that, you've got Hume coming back from a long-term injury. And I mean, I, I'll mention later on that his his performance for me was largely irrelevant. This was about getting miles in the legs and game time and getting a bit of sharpness back. Um, Hadji playing centre-back as well. Again, not so not somewhere he's played for the first team huge a huge amount recently. I'm, I'm not sure what position he was playing in when he was out on loan, actually, whether he was playing centre-back or a sort of an attacking right-back. But again, it's not a position he's played for Pompey Senior hugely. We know that he quite likes playing a centre-back. And I think, did he say to us a couple of years ago that it was his preferred position, I think? So he, he well, does can, like playing He converted there. into a right-back of it, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So originally was a centre-back. But again won't have played centre-back with Robertson too often. You've got Swanson at right-back, who's playing, you know, one of his early career senior games. And then Morel coming back from a, a long-term injury in centre-midfield. And Jay Mingi, who has done a perfectly good job when I've seen him play, but most of the, the real times I've seen him shine have been going forward. And then you've got Hackett and Curtis, who obviously provide more going forward than at the back. So we are in a position there that I don't think we should be too surprised almost that we were a little bit, you know, we gave chances away and you're completely right that we could easily have been two, possibly three down at half time. There were a couple of really good chances. Um, that Telford cannot finish, can he, for a striker uh, apart from penalties. Well, and, we um, wanted him on the transfer special as well. That's a, that's a damning thing that you said. <laughs> well, he, was he top scorer in League Two last season for them? He was one of, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, scored a shed load of goals in Newport County. I can't yeah, yeah. Top he just he looked really poor. I mean, he got in positions, and you can't slate him too much because he scored the penalty and he was getting into positions, but his finishing was pretty poor. And I think it was his first goal of the season that penalty as well. And we're what six game or well six league games in to uh, to League Two, and it was his first goal for them this season. So yeah, I don't I don't think it would have been brilliant if we had signed him based mm. off um, based off what I saw. As, a, as an additional thing, I just looked it up. Hadji played a mix of right centre-half and right back and right wing back for Weymouth. It was a mixture of all three positions. There you go. Utility man, Hadji Minoga. 
you talked about penalties there, Andy, and I've got to say, live, the referee was absolutely dreadful. And I'm not just talking about from a level of the penalties that I think the second one in particular was very dubious in the, in the 94th minute. Obviously, you couldn't see it down the end because the, the Pompey fans were at the other end, but the referee all game didn't have a clue what he was doing. He was just sort of, it seemed like he was guessing a little bit. He let a lot of things go, which were fouls on us. He booked Jacobs, don't know what it seemed like on, on TV, whether like a dive or not, but at the game, or pretty close to it, it, it looked like a foul. It goes and gives them t- two penalties and books our player for diving. Um, Andy, what did you think about that, watching it on television? Did it look like a dive? Honestly, those two yeah. penalties that were given to Crawley, I think on a very fortuitous day, you get one of them and you feel like you've had a fairly lucky day with the referee's decision to get both of them. Uh, let's just say I'm happy to have got that out of the way in a in a cup game I'm not overly fussed about, um, except, again, I will abandon my morals and, and go and have a day out at Wembley in the pub if uh, if we reach Wembley again. But the referee, yeah, it was the inconsistency, to be honest with you, Hugh. It was... I'm not claiming it was bias in the slightest. I just think he was poor. And I'm not really sure because when you're a referee and you put bad performances in, you go and essentially get punished by refereeing a lower league match. So we get championship refs, don't we? In League One from time to time, we've had a couple of poor championship games and they get kicked down to League One. Lucky us. What's the next stage down from a Papa John's Trophy group game midweek at Crawley? Are you going to like Hampshire Cup? Hampshire Cup, yeah. Are you doing like Newport Isle of Wight or Cows Sports or something? I don't don't really know. But yeah, it was it was very poor and it was very inconsistent. And I I don't like laying into refs. And I think normally if you're blaming the ref, there are other things that have gone wrong in the game. And it wasn't a perfect Pompey performance, but they just they they just aren't penalties, Hugh. It's as simple yeah. as that. They're just yeah. not okay. penalties. I think it helps that Danny Cowley was both annoyed with the performance and the referee. He, I think he said after the game that if that is the standard of refereeing in the football league, that then we've got they're in real trouble because it's the best footballing pyramid in the world. I'm paraphrasing, but that is roughly what he said. Yeah, he didn't go on. You know, he didn't go full Joey Barton, uh, which is a relief to us all, but. At the same time, it's important that it is acknowledged because I'm, I'd be very curious who that referee is refereeing this weekend. And he's not, I mean, at this at this level, I don't think they said he was a full-time referee. I think, again, I had this knife on, I think Andy Moon said at the start that he's a part-time firefighter as well. So he's not a full-time definitely ref. Cre- definitely creates enough fires, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. He, um, I'm sure if we had more time here and I was any cleverer, we could come up with some fantastic puns. But um, I thought you were going to yeah. redeem yourself then, Andy, on Dictionary Corner. You're going to yeah, throw absolutely. something clever absolutely out. Absolutely not. The, mate, it's, it's 25 to 10. The brain's gone to mush. It's not happening. Um, I can barely, yeah, I can barely string a sentence together. And you might be able to argue that I'm not stringing any sentences together. Anyway, poor ref. Yeah, very yeah. poor. But oh, you know, if, mate, if it balances out over the season, I'd rather get these ones out of the way in the pizza cup. And then if we're going to regress to the mean over the next 40 games of league, that means we've got a couple in our favour coming up at some point. So not going to complain too much. It always does, doesn't it? Most of the time, it always evens itself out to a certain degree, um, even though it doesn't seem like it sometimes. Yeah, and um, as I'll... Joey Barton says, 
if we're in the Fratton end on on Saturday, we just need to shout at the referee and we'll get a penalty, according to him. Well, so. well, um, let's do it, boys. Fair enough. Uh, I, I was wondering what your opinion was on what Danny Cowley said after the game. This transcript quickly, it won't take too long. He said this after the performance, we need depth in the squad and people fighting for places and competing. We're Portsmouth. We should want to win every game and play to win every single game. We should be absolutely relentless and, ha- and have to be really demanding. I'm sick and tired of us as a football club accept- accepting substandards. If you want to be the best, this is what we've got to do. It's not something you can t- uh, turn on and off. It's 24-7. It's absolutely relentless. I didn't see those qualities tonight. Not in enough of them. As a consequence, I'm disappointed with the performance. What is your? I think I think it, I think it's good. That? I think I think you you have to have a time where you know you can be the sort of the nice sort of fatherly figure, you know, helping people along and all that kind of stuff. But when you have to be, you know, a bit brutal and a bit ruthless to you know spark a bit of fire, I think that's that's what you need to do. And it's quite nice to see him come out when it was it was really poor mate it, watching it live it was really poor it was rather dull as well to be honest it was quite a boring game to watch when you were there I remember just standing there going oh I could have done something else this evening this is really is quite boring to watch it was one of those things so I, I'm full support of what Danny Cowley said I love the way he just slapped it on the ref and the players because that's exactly what the fans are thinking and I think he really reflected the mood of, of what the travelling sporters came and you know we travelled over a thousand people came down for a Tuesday night game away at Crawley and yeah they deserved a bit better but at the same time we don't really care about the result that much do we so you know we're not going to be actually raging about it because I just don't really care that much to be honest but I do I mean, you, Danny Cowley you mentioned there Danny Cowley being a father figure he might take issue with that bearing in mind he's 13 years older than Kieran Freeman I'm not sure what happens down in the Bunce household but um you might I, didn't have an mean, issue. I didn't mean that. I meant the, just guiding the team, you know, rather than <laughs> you could be, you could say a shepherd instead if you want, Andy. If we want to go on on that level, but that that was my that was my fear. And you have to be nice sometimes. But you have to know when to be when to be a little bit hard to motivate the players as well, and to keep those standards up. Yeah, a hundred percent. And yeah, I, I'd echo that to be honest with you. Um, in that we need to be demanding a hell of a lot from those players because it is a long season. And as soon as your standards slip, it's a bit of a slippery slope and 46 games is a very long time. And yes, it's not easy to maintain that high level of performance for what's going to be like nine months of a season. Having said that, they that's what you need to be doing to go up. Because if you look at last season, it was probably two individual poor periods of performance. That's a mouthful. Um, that actually cost us getting into the playoffs. There were two spells where they just couldn't pick up results and those two spells just completely undid all of the hard work that was done over the majority of the rest of the season and they can't afford to to have that happen or the same thing will happen again um but yeah you you can't come out and just be all happy and smiley after you know drawing two all against a, a league two club that have made a load of changes because i mean in that in that lineup you know you've got international footballers you've got curtis and morell in midfield who are literally you know they're playing for their countries, Haji Minogu is an international footballer, and it's not it's not really good enough for them to be struggling against a, a League Two team who have rotated their squad. Having said that, Pizza Cup, we're currently top of League One. I'm not moaning in the slightest about anything this season, but I can see why Cowley would, in the dressing room, have some serious reservations about the way that game played out because there were players there who could have proved the point. And they didn't. 
And that must frustrate him because he's going to need these players at some point in the season. He's going to need every single one of those players at some point in the season through rotation or injury. And it is a, going to be a concern to him if when they've had that opportunity, they've not stood up because they're going to be needed in the league where it does matter later in the year. That's enough about the crawler game. We put a question out to you guys and we said, where do Pompey need to add in the squad before the transfer window closes tomorrow or today, depending when you're listening to it? Who do you like the Blues to sign? Thank you to everyone who messaged in, especially since I posted this out at nearly seven o'clock tonight before we started recording around eight o'clock. So really appreciate that, everybody. It really makes the show, but let's just get stuck into it. Cowley's Cows messaged in and said, not expecting any wow signings, probably raw players or loans. A pacey winger that needs to develop game similar to Lowe when he first came in. Other Prem loan cover, Thompson in midfield and three-man defence. Good on the ball and willing to bring it out, but may have to develop as a defender. Freeway, do you feel like we're going to need to bring in somebody, a pacey winger, etc., or someone to bring the ball out? And do you think that's going to be something we dip into the loan market to achieve? Yeah, I think it's it's the murmurings that I've heard from just reporters about their tweets and so on, that that is what Pompey are looking for. Um, I think Andrew Moon said as much. He said he said on Twitter that Pompey are looking for another attacker. And he also said that it will probably rely on other players going out as well. Um, I think we know which players are on that list. Freeman, Tunnicliffe. And then maybe if Danny Cowley wants to loan out Hadji, then he might look at a centre-half to as the fourth choice centre-half to replace him while he gets some experience on loan. Um, I think if we are going to get a winger in, it would have to be someone who has very high dribbling stats, very good at crossing the ball, is dangerous when he plays and preferably can be, be that sort of tweener attacker that can also play up front in a pinch and then play on his weaker side in a pinch as well, just for depth, I think. But I also do think potentially another centre-half might be ideal. Um, especially, I think even if you... I do think the extra centre-half would be good because if you loan out Hadji, I think he desperately needs that first-team experience at League 2 level. I think that will benefit him hugely in the long run. And I think keeping him for cover, even though it's nice to have, I don't think it would um, damage... The promotion hopes of Pompey too much if you focus on his development to loan him out to League Two level, um, if you're thinking long term anyway. So maybe another right footed centre half who could play the ball out a bit more and who's comfortable in a back four. Because, for example, if if they loan out Monoga and let's say there's another injury to either Raggett, Robertson, or Morrison, then you can bring Ogilvy into centre half, but then you've got Denver Hume at left back who, from what I've looked at, is more suited to win back than full back because of his uh, qualities going forward. Yeah, correct. You might consider keeping the centre, having that spare centre-half who can play on the right side um, just to balance it out. So you've got two right-footed centre-halves, two left-footed centre-halves as well. Make sure, make sure you've got two full-backs on the left-back as well. I think that would benefit Pompey a fair bit and wouldn't break the bank either. But from the murderings from uh, Andrew Moon, it seems like they're really looking to another attacker and a tweener attacker who can play on the wing and up front. George Slatcher mentioned it and he says, don't think we need another striker. 
as Curtis can go up front. We'd like to see a winger, maybe a centre-back added to the ranks. Can we just talk about how angry Danny Cowley was last night in his interview against Crawley? I've never seen him like that. Well, George, your wish is our command earlier on, even though I hadn't read this out. So we've already got there, mate, but appreciate that. Don't think we need another striker because Curtis can go up front. Boys, do you think I'm I'm struggling to see Curtis up front? I, mean, I know we've tried it a couple of times this season. He looks so much better, Andy, doesn't he? Out wide on the left. Yeah, there were some pretty damning statistics came out towards the end of last season comparing Curtis playing in that upfront role to other people playing in the upfront role. And I just don't feel like it utilizes him as well as playing him on the wing. He's a game-breaking dangerous player out on the wing and the sample size is large enough now that I think we can conclude he's not as effective up top even though you know this is this is me kind of changing my mind almost because at the time you know a while ago I, w- I was quite keen on him playing up top with you know either Marquis or Harrison you know when at the same time we were talking about Harness playing up top with either Marquis or Harrison I was quite keen on it because he seems a bit more dangerous but the statistics would suggest that it just doesn't work as well as um, as some other players. And we have the strike options now that I don't think we would really need to use Curtis in that position unless it was an absolute necessity. But um, yeah, I think in terms of needing goal-scoring options, I don't think it's the absolute priority. I, I'm very interested in what does happen tomorrow or today or yesterday or the day before, depending on when people are listening. But Priority for me now, with Thompson being out for realistically best case scenario three months. Realistically, it's going to be longer to be match fit. We're not looking at you know anything run up to Christmas best case scenario maybe for a, a double fib break. And the fact that you know it sounds like Tunnicliffe is most likely on the way out, and we've received interest in him. I think the centre midfield needs to be strengthen in terms of just an option coming in even if it's a supporting option because our centre mid is fairly strong and I agree with Fred that a centre back is needed as well not a, not a starting first choice centre back just an option for let's say hypothetically Morrison gets uh, Morrison's ruled out for this weekend and then Raggett gets snapped or pulls his hammy or something and Hadji's gone out on loan suddenly with our centre back options are looking a bit dodgy and we're in the realms of you know, where we were at a few times a while ago where your back four is a little bit makeshift and you've got a right back playing at centre back and, you know, one starting centre back trying to cover and it's, yeah, you're kind of being forced into maybe changing formation. It's just a bit of a, a bit of a palaver, which is a... Do you think Danny Caldo will look at other positions instead of centre bid because he rates Mingi and Morel that much? And he thinks that those four options are good enough and then it just it, it depends on if Tony Cliff goes or not because there might not be proper interest then you've got a fifth option haven't you if he goes and then you're left with four centre midfielders I just think with the way that the games are coming thick and fast particularly with um, losing Morel to the World Cup I personally think that you want one more and I'm not saying we need to get a game changing starting centre midfielder I think it needs to be a squad player with who's going to offer us a competent depth option should we need it. I know what Andy's saying. 
bring back Sean Williams, Gillingham and playing rubbish. I would like, yeah, the Sean Williams and Paul Downing would be my two shouts for the centre-back, centre-mid cover. Uh, that would be my personal preference, but we'll see what happens. Someone out there will listen to that and think I'm being serious. I think. They're gonna, someone's going to soundbite that and just just play that one bit of the clip and just get it out there. Like a picture of your face right now and just, just slap it out there. Well, on no context PO forecast. Yeah, imagine. exactly. <laughs> well, imagine no, no context PO forecast if they had the bits that didn't get released. Jeez. No, that'd be really dreadful. It would be unemployed PO forecast. Yeah, we'd all be sacks. <laughs> Dave Lauren messages in and he says, one versatile, quick attacking wide man, one versatile left-footed defender. Job done. All right, Dave. Nice and simple. Yeah, I think I would have definitely agreed with that 100% a couple of weeks ago because I thought Hackett started the season quite slowly. But then the last three or four games I've seen Hackett play in, I'd say he's settled in a bit more and has looked a lot more solid and with more output. And I can't remember, it was one of the last two games he had a, a shot with his weaker foot from outside the box and just seems to be linking up better with the players around him. Uh, so yeah, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I would have unreservedly agreed with that statement. It can't be a bad thing to have another pacey winger in the squad. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think it's as much of a necessity as I did before in my opinion, Hackett's form took an upturn in the last couple of weeks. There was one player who was linked to Portsmouth. It came out today. Um, he's called Harvey St. Clair. Um, winger, can play both sides. Um, youth product at Chelsea, uh, signed by Venezia in Italian Serie B. Played last season on loan at Trist- Tristini? Tristina, excuse me, in the uh, Serie C, so Italian third division, two goals, two assists in all comps from 2,438 minutes. Didn't have his game matches played, which is annoying, but that amount of minutes is quite good. And he played right back, right wing, left wing and up front in several games. And from his stats, he's pretty much a dribbler. He averaged 4.49 dribbles per 90 in the Italian third division with 56% accuracy. Seems like the sort of player that fits that tweener attacking mould that um, that's been mooted anyway. And if it's on the loan, it would he's the sort of player who would barely cost us anything. Would play if it would come in in a pinch as well, um, mm-hmm. which might be decent. I think some of the names that have been bandied around, which are a bit, a bit on more on a higher profile, are Harvey Nibs and Shiloh Tracy from Cambridge United. Obviously, both of them played exceptionally well against. Against Portsmouth, even though Cambridge lost 4-1, I think those are the two standout players. Nibs being more of a striker, Tracy being more of a traditional aggressive winger. Um, I know it's only six games, but I really like Tracy's stats already. I think he's averaged 75% dribble success rate with 6.89 dribbles per 90, which is mental. (laughs) That's quite a mental statistic to come out of there. And he's playing exceptionally well. But I think Andy Moon basically said that if we're going for a a like a high wage or using another transfer fee I think it would depend on players coming out so those are some names mooted around uh, around Ruberville effectively um, as some ideas no names of centre-backs that I've seen though so far Cambridge definitely want some money from them don't they it's not that's not going to be a cheap deal oh, of course they will no they're, they're two first-team yeah. players so I don't see how I see them as unrealistic 
at the moment. I don't see Cambridge letting them go unless it's a stupid amount of money, I don't think, um, relative to their value. But they are, both of them look solid enough. And it would mean Pompey's depth options are insane, but then would they move to Portsmouth to be a depth option rather than starting every week? That's also a consideration, isn't it? Would they, move to, Port- nice pretty, would they move to Portsmouth? Would they move to Portsmouth to City? Cambridge well, is gorgeous. When they had when they had the Port- French- Portsmouth more interesting. Yeah, if you're into if they're into military history, Cambridge has got nothing on the historic dockyard, I've heard. That's correct. That's correct. And Freddie lives there. He doesn't live in Cambridge. So yeah, I say that I actually fucking love the historic dockyard because I'm a massive nerd. So yeah. um, tongue in cheek, firmly. <laughs> love that. Sean matches in and he says, we need another attacker. I say that as someone who has pace, has the ability to play wide or through the middle. Someone like Tracy. Here we go, boys. Also another centre-back. I'd say a left pegger to allow Rags to return on the right if Robbo is out. Well, we touched on Tracy already, so we'll just skip past that. Another centre-back, do agree, we spoke about that a little bit, especially if Manoga goes out on loan. I still think it'll be a depth option, maybe a youngster, so I don't expect it to be someone, or a veteran pro. That really works well for us, usually. But, yeah. Well, well, Morrison, in this instance. All right, yeah, I said that tongue-in-cheek. Pack is, I'm not quite counting as yeah, veteran. Oh, no, I won't go that far. Bro, Pack was a prime starter anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Josh Lishmetson and he says in Cowley we trust. Listening to his ambition for the club, just back the man. Central defender to allow Minoga to go on loan. Midfielder to replace Thompson. Attacking winger slash forward type with pace. So I think Josh has got the attacking winger forward type with pace. We spoke about that a second ago. Midfielder to replace Thompson. Andy Mitchmore, little tip of the hat towards you there in the centre of midfield. And yeah, we need. I think Minoga should go out on loan. It's the right thing to do, isn't it? But at the end of the day, if we can't get someone in, he's probably going to have to stick around. So hopefully we can get someone in to allow him to continue his development. I think Danny Cowley is big on trying to help these players develop. And ultimately, that's what's good for the club as well as the player. How is he only 20? By the way, Hadji, he's only 20. How is he 20? We've been talking about him for about four years, I swear. It's because he's like quite strong and like quite physically developed, wasn't he? At quite a young age. Yeah, I mean... Step in. When you were when you were saying there about loan, I was like, well, at some point, mate, we've got to decide whether he's going to play or not for Pompey. We can't just keep loaning him out. And it's like, actually, he's 20. We very much can. Yeah, I've just realised he's five, five years younger than me. Good God. That's a strange thought, anyway. Shut up, Fred. Yeah, what are you playing out there, you cheeky bugger? <laughs> yeah, he loves it. Look at that face. He's rubbing it in over there. <laughs> it's like oldie over I'm just, not, I'm just not used to it yet, that's all. Not, I, I think... It would be the same. It would be the same for older people. My dad. The, the only time recently, my dad, who, who's turned sixty nine recently, the only time he's like, nice, felt weird, brilliant. The only time he's felt weird about um, a player's age is when he saw somebody's granddad play. I can't remember the centre midfielder off the top of my head, but it was an Irish midfielder who he had seen his dad play as well as him, and. I think that's the ultimate thing where you just feel old, surely, if that happens. Freddie's having an age crisis at 25, it turns out. Freddie, Honestly, you got to hold to out. Fair, Not that bad, don't worry. I've had existential crises at 20, 25 and 30. I'm planning another one at 35. I mean, that's still quite a way away yet. I'm only, 30, only. I'm 31. In Freddie's world, I'm like, well, 
Well, I'm, actually, no, don't answer that, Fred. I don't want to know the answer to that question. Hugh, change the topic because whatever Freddie's answer is going to be to my question is going to actually upset yeah, me. So. He looks super smug about it. Dazza messages in and he says, I would like three in the door, a left-sided centre-back, a pacey winger, and either a centre midfielder or a striker. Being a great window so far, they just need to plug a few gaps. I think we'll only get two by the end of play tomorrow, though, which will be fine. But I reckon, boys, we've got to shift a few players, haven't we, to bring, bring a few in. Otherwise, we're just going to stick around. We'll have Tony Cliff there in the centre midfield. You know, I, I expect Freeman to go, but then again, I saw, you know, I saw him at Crawley and coming on, that kind of thing. You think, hmm, sometimes you've got a player on the way out, they're going to risk him in, in the pizza trophy. So that was a little bit of a surprise. So I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't actually get moved into the window for that reason. But yeah, no, again, I think, think Daz is on the, on the right mark there, but... John English messaged in and he says, Hi guys, I'd like to see another attacking threat come in and another defender. Overall, I'm really happy with the team. Just a shame our fringe players are not able to win a game. We'll see where the team really stands this Saturday. We definitely will see where we stand on Saturday because Peterborough are a really good team uh, and also a really good attacking team in particular. So we'll come on to that in a bit later when the boys take over the, the Peterborough preview. But... Attacking threats come in. Boys, do, do we need another striker, really? Do we need another striker? A fourth striker? Or just or just being luxurious now? Because, you know, we've got three decent striking options. Do we just need someone to make up the numbers? I mean, it sounds like Cowley would like one. For me, it's not the priority. I'm, I'm imagining that the window closing, our activity will be like for like. So if Tunnicliffe goes... A centre midfielder will come in. If Freeman goes, a defensive player will come in. That is what I'm imagining what will happen. Um, potentially, if Freeman goes and Minogue goes on loan, that could you could potentially bring in one defensive player who can be a squad player at centre back and right back, and that would open up the possibility of an attacking player coming in, a striker coming in. For me, it's not the priority because, as you know, I was going to say as Fred says, but we haven't played that bit yet that's in the Peterborough there, there is another thing which you haven't mentioned which I remembered Joe Rafferty can play both sides at fullback he's played both right back and left back for Preston before so maybe that's in Danny Cowley's thoughts as well if Freeman goes then they'd rather look at another attacker because technically he thinks he has three options at left back rather than two Swanson also play left and right back sorry start that again mate I was talking over you sorry you at Swanson can also play left and right so that does give us another another person to fill on that left hand side as well to to consider. Um, we are actually quite flexible at fullback in that sense, aren't we? We've got players who can play multiple sides, which is not quite quite that usual. So luxury over Andy, what are you saying? I have no idea. Um, same as usual. I don't know what I say, mate. To be honest with you, no worries. Let's move it on. Tom Clark messaged in. And he says a number ten and a centre back. Tom, do we need number ten playing four four two? Is this just is this just the pompy thing that we just it just uh, you we know, always need a number ten? You we need a number ten since 26, 20, the end of twenty seventeen. I know, but do we need one now? Where are we going to fit him in? Not personally, no. But <laughs> I just no. It's just, it's keep the meme going. Keep it going. Roddicks, let's get him. <laughs> Players always talked about us getting. Thanks everyone. Message in. Appreciated. Makes the show. Freddie, do you have anyone in particular you wanted to highlight you've not already spoke about in your little research session in your in your basement you did before coming to record? 
the bedroom, not the basement. But yeah, I think I mentioned the players already. Nibs, Tracy are the names that have been banded around. Um, I went, I looked into a bit of detail of St. Clair simply because it was reported that there are rumours around. One player I have noticed, DiMaggio Wright Phillips for Stoke City. He fits that mould to a certain degree of a um, a squad playing left winger who's a fairly good dribbler and fairly comfortable on the ball. Um, played left wing and up front. So that fits that tween and mould as well. But no, I, don't, I couldn't really find centre-halves that fit that mould. I think potentially, arguably, that's the most important position if you're looking to learn out Minoga. But yeah, I think that's all the names. I think also Andy Moon mentioned that the, the Barnsley are rumoured to be interested in Kieran Freeman. Um, but there's but it remains to be seen if there's any development, so there's no bids rejected or anything just yet. Honourable mention, I forgot to mention the Crawley game. Alan Pace came on and he looked dynamo. I thought, he was still, you know, young kid and he's 17 years old uh, but he actually came across quite strong on the ball he was very technical he ran at people I was actually just really impressed with how he got stuck in and really helped raise the tempo of the game a little bit and I mentioned all those established players didn't I who came on and had a real impact but Andy watching the game what did you think of Pace's impact on the game? Yeah I'd echo your sentiment I actually wanted to mention that and I completely forgot as well it's lovely to see an academy player come through into the first team even if it's, you know, sub-appearance in, in the Papa John's Trophy, it's an excellent starting point. And it would be really nice to see him kick on because it definitely looks like there's something about him from watching the game. We've seen a number of other players follow a similar trajectory and play in some of these cup games and haven't made that step up for, for whatever reason and now are like playing for other local clubs in the in the vicinity in Hampshire. But it would be lovely if, uh, yeah, if, if Adam Pace was able to you know, there's no reason not to involve him in the other games in the group stage in the Papa John's Trophy. He came on and genuinely did have an impact. You know, we're not just saying it to be supportive or to, you know, back the local talent. He genuinely did look good when he came on. So, yeah, it'd be lovely to see that in the rest of the Papa John's Trophy games for, you know, for the view of of having him around the squad in a couple of years' time on on the league, league games and uh, see where we go from there. Yeah, completely agree, mate. Oh, I think that's it, isn't it? I'm going to wind it into the Peterborough game. Yeah, I think so. There was the only, there was the breaking news Andrew Cullen thing, which is like two minutes. Fucking he essentially hell. said that um, a Bristol Rovers fan had been reported for police after pressed bottles were thrown at um, home players and fans, and that um, the club are looking for a Portsmouth fan who threw a coin at Gavin Ward, the referee. Um, the coin was apparently thrown on the 73rd minute. Um, while he was issuing some yellow cards. Decent odds it was one of our listeners. We we threw, well, a Poppy fan for a coin at him. Well, because we were really annoyed that... Got yeah, fr- yeah, yeah it was thrown from the Fratton end. They've even got the section of the Fratton end it was thrown in from. Oh. It just seems a bit odd considering how the decisions went in that game to throw a coin at the referee. But Maybe it was a donation or they were paying him the bribe that he earned. 2p. Solid coin to throw as well. FYI, oh, obviously we don't condone that, you know. It's late and we're getting on now, but all right, let's move it on. Also, shout out to James Leary, who bought us some coffees on buymecoffee.com. It is really, really appreciated, mate. We appreciate it. The message was greetings from Texas, boys. As always, thanks for the show and the laughs. So, yeah, appreciate that, mate. Um, anyone wants to do donate two quid or anything else you've got? 
hit us up buy me a coffee link in the po forecast twitter page cheers james yeah thank you very much, much obviously, obviously no obligations to do that but it's extremely kind thank you Okay, Freddie, let's move on to talking about uh, the match preview for this weekend. So Pompey have got Peterborough United at home. It is the first meeting with the Posh this year. Peterborough sit third in the table currently, and they are one of those teams that you would expect to be around the promotion places at the end of the year. So it's going to be a massive test for this Pompey side who have picked up points against teams you'd expect to finish lower in the table, as well as that excellent away point at Sheffield Wednesday. This will be an excellent test for the Blues. How are you feeling about the weekend coming up after what you've seen in the last four days in uh, in our league game and in the Crawley Cup game? Uh, it's going to be a rough one, isn't it? Um, this is probably the hardest game since the opener, really, on paper at any least. And it looks like Peterborough, as many people would expect, are promotion candidates. They're up, up there in the table already. Got 12 points from a possible 18 with four wins and two defeats. They're joint top scorers at the moment with Pompey in the league as well with 13. Only conceded six so defence, even though many people think it's symbolic. It hasn't looked like it so far from a small sample size. They're just a very strong attacking team that have got offensive weapons all over the place, haven't they? They like to keep the ball in the middle of midfield, spray it out wide, let the, let the attackers dribble aggressively down by flanks and they've got strikers which pretty much any league one side would be jealous of I mean Johnson Clark Harris he, he falls into that category of player where you think what is he doing playing in league one I think Portsmouth have one of those in Marlon Pack but I think Peterborough may or may not have a few of them they've got weapons all over, all over the place yeah very hard very hard um, praising uh, so <laughs> This uh, this week just gone, Peterborough coming into the Pompey fixture off the back of a fairly disappointing few days for them, really. If you look at their last three games, they're technically not coming into this game off three defeats. Uh, two defeats against the mighty Stevenage uh, in games where they did not play their first 11. It will surprise you to uh, to learn. One in the Football League Trophy and one in the EFL Cup. And that is sandwiched by a 2-1 defeat uh, away against Derby County which uh, I guess the jump out points for that would be Peterborough taking the lead and Derby equalising in the 88th minute and winning in the 91st minute for ultimate home limbs. And Nathan Thompson receiving two yellows, meaning that he will be suspended for this game this weekend. So we won't have Nathan or Louis Thompson playing in the Thompson Derby. Someone did point out to me that Ben Thompson will be playing, but um, it'll be one third of the full cohort of possible Thompsons this weekend. But as you say, Jonathan Clark-Harris is one of those players. I mean, a few years ago, I'd have put him on a par with uh, Ivan Tony in League One, personally. And we can see where Ivan Tony has sort of moved on to in his career trajectory right now. So it does surprise me a little bit that Jonathan Clark-Harris hasn't made that step up, at least to be playing regular championship football. Uh, as you say, he is, unsurprisingly, Peterborough's top scorer so far this season. Um, Freddie, do you think Peterborough are gettable at defensively, particularly with Nathan Thompson suspended for this game coming up? So looking in that sort of right-back, right-wing-back position? Potentially. It depends if we can get past our weapons going forward, I suppose. I mean, we've mentioned Johnson Clark-Harris, five goals in six games. They've got Jack Marriott, three goals in three goals in six games. They have 
weapons from midfield, obviously with Ben Thompson, very, very reliable midfielder. Another player who I'd want to mention quickly, David Adjiboyi, signed from Sutton United, right winger, just explosive right winger, who's going to cause a lot of problems on that side. Some of the advanced stats defensively are interesting. Expected goals against for Peterborough. Actually, an 8.49 when they've conceded six. So it shows that they might have gotten away with it slightly to a certain extent. Now, I'm not going to completely say that with gospel because it's only a small sample size of six matches. But it is interesting that that gap is is there. Um, out of interest, Portsmouth are second in the entire league for the best expected goals against with 5.25 and they've only conceded five. But uh, make of that what you will. But Isn't like, the like idea said, of the podcast, Freddie, that you tell us what to make of it? <laughs> Isn't that the idea? It, well, I got into a reporter brain. I just give people info and they can make up their own mind. Ah, okay. Saves you having any accountability for your opinions. I like no, it. No, <laughs> I just don't like influencing people. But anyway. <laughs> Freddie, you know, whether you like it or not, Freddie, you're a massive influencer. Let's go. <laughs> but no, it, it, obviously missing Nathan Thompson, Thompson for them is big because he's obviously their starting fullback. Uh, I'm not sure who their backup fullback is off the top of my head. I'm shrugging if I'm honest, Fred. I'll be interested to see who comes in there. Yeah, I know. Well, well there's um, Joe Tomlinson, who I think plays right back, but I'm not completely sure. They've mainly had a set, settled defence before that with Josh Knight, Ronnie Edwards, Frankie Kent, and then Harrison Burrows playing in that midfield role before the defence as well. So it seems like they had a settled defensive line before that, and now, but now with Thompson injured... That's obviously a key, a key area to go for. Um, so you could either start Ronan Curtis if you want to go more aggressive in terms of dribbling and attack-minded, or if you want to put in very good balls over that side, you play Jacobs there. Mm. You can go either or, in my opinion. Yeah, let, let's talk about Pompey then, yeah, Fred, rather than focusing on Peterborough, because that's obviously what most people are particularly interested in. Here is the Pompey lineup for the game. Are you lining up 4-4-2, which as Joey Barton has reliably informed us is never going to get a team promoted? And if so, who are you starting on the left? If you're looking at two potential options that are, you know, either well, Jacobs and Curtis have both been utilised there so far this season, or are you going a bit left field, literally, and um, playing someone else in that position? Are you thinking of playing Curtis so you can swap him over with Hackett on and off occasionally through the game and seeing what Hackett can do? on his uh, sort of going down the line with his left foot or what were you thinking, Freddie? I think overall, I think Pompey will probably and arguably should start with the 4-4-2. Um, even though there's a good argument that they'll get overrun in the midfield to a certain extent because A, that's what Peterborough like to do. They like to press intensely, win the ball back in the midfield and spray it out wide for quick counter-attacks. A 4-4-2 can leave them open to a certain extent, but Pompey have played, only played the 4-4-2 this season off the top of my head. I don't think they've switched formation and tactically. And also, if they want to go more on the counter, if they, if Peterborough, for example, control the game a bit more, Pompey have had so much joy with the front two, with Colby Bishop linking up with Dane Scarlett, which I assume will be the strike partnership. Presumably, I think, I think Scarlett has happening. to start really, doesn't he, at this point? Mm. It's, it's mm. very difficult to come up with an argument for someone like Piggott starting over either Scarlett or Bishop, as much as Piggott has done a perfectly good job since coming in, well, since joining the club and doing bit parts in the side. It's Bishop and Scarlett have basically made themselves undroppable, right? Do you think with what you mentioned there about 
Peterborough wanting to break quickly and spread it to the wings very, very quickly, that could be an argument for playing a slightly more defensively minded left-sided player than Curtis, who is capable enough defensively, but you know he'll get most of his plaudits for his attacking work. I'm mostly in the opposite way of when Pompey get the ball, they have to counter-attack properly with pace and aggression. And Curtis is the more aggressive winger on that left-hand side. I think Jacobs has got a better end product to a certain extent. But for example, if it's a corner and the ball comes loose and they've got one striker up front and let's say Curtis has drifted on that left wing, he's going to get the ball, attack with it and run with it and then try and make a, a pass to the striker. So that's really what I'll go for. I would start with Curtis on that left wing, Owendale on the right, on the right wing, Scarlett and Bishop up front, and then the rest of the team, to a certain extent, picks itself. Because I don't think many people Does have it? a really good. It, I don't think. Many it, Fred, like, let's look at centre mid for an example. Marlon Pack, Tom Lowry started the last league game at Port Vale. Do you keep that that starting pairing, or now Joe Morell is potentially well, he is fit enough to start. Do you bring him straight back into the side? I mean, I'm asking you a lot of questions here and providing absolutely no answers. No, I, th- I think continuity-wise, I think they probably should start with Pack and Lowry. I think I think I didn't really, I didn't, to be brutally honest, I didn't watch the Crawley game because it was in the B team competition, obviously. But from reading the match report afterwards, I could tell that not a lot, and not a lot of the other players who weren't starting a lot recently came in. They didn't have the best of games. So as Joe Morrell earned coming into the centre mid to replace Pack and Lowry, which look like they're developing a partnership? Or do you bring him in later on with the five subs rule to try and keep control of the game when the legs go? I think that's the way to do it, I mm. think. I mean, I did watch the Crawley game because I'm a whore to capitalism. And I wouldn't say that Morel did enough to sort of stake a really strong claim. And I don't think that's surprising, bearing in mind he's coming back from a long injury layout. Sort of the same for Denver Hume almost. Didn't put in a performance that you would say, oh, my word, needs to be breaking into the first team, but you wouldn't expect them to be in terms of match fitness. Uh, that that Crawley game was a bit of a a bit of a gimme for them almost in terms of there being no pressure on their performance. And it would just being a case of getting some minutes under their belt, no matter what the result and no matter what their performance but yeah having said that I would be inclined to agree with you that the, the if it ain't broke don't fix it combined with the fact that I mean Morel had a perfectly fine game but didn't pull up any trees to the extent you would say oh my word he has to be walking into the first team this weekend so my view would be having Morel on the bench and assuming the game is you know reasonably evenly balanced towards the center, uh, towards the end of the second half or if Pompey are even winning the game at that point you can potentially bring him on if Lowry is looking fatigued I mean Lowry came off in that Port Vale game um, and it would make sense potentially if um, if the same happened I mean we were a goal up at the, that, at the time in the Port Vale game when that took place let's say hypothetically we're a goal up that would be a, a nice position to be in but let's say hypothetically we're a goal up with 25 minutes to go. Morel, fresh legs, doesn't have the pressure of playing the full 90, can just completely apply himself to that last 25 minutes and hopefully help you well use his international experience and, and help us see the game out. I, I don't yeah, see anything I think, wrong I think with that. I the only that. change will just be the obvious one of Robertson coming in for Morrison. And that's it, I think, for, for, from the starting level that played against Port Vale anyway. Is Morrison know. confirmed out with a head injury? Have you... 
well, well, he I said haven't he, seen he, any. He said he had concussion-like symptoms in that game. So why would you risk him anyway? Well, they, they, I don't think it will be an option of whether to risk him or not. The idea with head injury assessments is if you pass, you're fit. If you fail, you can't. It's it, There's not really any room for new room for manoeuvre. There's not really any middle ground there. So I've not seen the result of what his head injury assessment has been um, and whether it's yeah, concussion or I haven't, concussion seen, I haven't actually seen anything confirming he's out. No, but me- I just I do, I'm just assuming that he is because it was a nasty injury. It looked like a nasty yeah. injury anyway. It looked like he was gesticulating that he was seeing double, didn't it? Out of his right eye or had blurriness in his right eye. His sort of hand was raised to it as if it was yeah, as if it was um something going on with his vision, which yeah, would suggest a concussion, which to be honest with you, if he's seeing double, you have to question the fact that he was playing on for nine minutes, eight minutes, I think it was. Uh, the injury was after what eight seconds or yeah, something. It was, it was, yeah, it was like well, probably the first challenge of the game, and he came off uh, in like the tenth minute. I think it was I think. the second challenge of the game. I think mm. they all put in a big challenge before that. They really set their stall out quite early on. Mm. Then he went but, off in um, the tenth. Um, sorry, Robertson. Yeah, Morrison went off in the tenth minute. I think. Yeah, so with, with gameplay, it probably would have been seven or eight minutes. Then you have to question that a little bit. But um, if he is fit and his symptoms have subsided, and he's given the all clear. Are you starting Morrison over Robertson, or are you bringing Robertson in either which way? Only, only if it's obvious that he's one hundred percent fit. Yeah. So if he passes the, the head injury assessment and you're completely convinced that he's fit, you start him anyway. Yeah, that's the only way to go for it. If there's literally any doubt whatsoever, you start Robertson instead, because Robertson was able to slot into that Port Vale game and that partnership looked very comfortable as well. So. Pompey aren't sure. It's not a major, it, even though Morrison played exceptionally well, I think to start with, it's not a as massive as a detriment as many people would think for Robertson to come in and play centre half on that side. I think. No, I, I don't think anyone would argue it'd be detrimental, or many people would argue it'd be physically detrimental to the side. I mean, Robertson, he scored in the Crawley game, right? So he's shown that he's in decent nick going forward, and he's proven last season he's extremely capable at the back, and even saying that might be doing him a slight disservice. But yeah, it would just be slightly harsh on Morrison because he hasn't really done anything to be dropped on a performance basis. But again, with head injuries, we know that repeat impacts are particularly dangerous. And if you're getting repeat head impacts, then um, your symptom, uh, symptomatology and your prognosis are both going to be pretty damn poor. But um, it sounds like, Fred, that you're keeping pretty much the same team that has been succeeding so far, which which makes sense, really. You don't want to start punishing yeah, players for winning. Uh, yeah, exactly. So. And I think even going to, I think, a back three, even that can turn into a back five, it gives Peterborough too much impetus that, in the midfield, especially that back, five, back five, Jeddy. <laughs> a back five, Jeddy. A back five, there. Freddy. <laughs> well, well, a back three can turn into a back five quite easily, depending on the impetus of the away team, can't it? But I think... Do it, go into that formation with win backs, it gives Peterborough too much control of the midfield. Um, and also potentially dropping it to say, even if it's a 3 4 3, the lone striker will sort of be there. And I think to counter attack properly, I think Portsmouth need the two forwards. That's that's where they got most of their chances from in their previous games. So I think yeah. just keep it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as to say the team picks itself or the strategy picks itself, but I, I don't see the need to change it. Uh, I think only little tweaks rather than actual formational 
Probably. Yeah, I I would agree, Fred. I think the this. I mean, I don't want to call them a second string because I don't think that's fair. But what Eddie Jones would call the finishers of the team that can come on and finish the game, um, although that's a slightly different sport, rugby. But the finishers had their opportunity to really put down a marker in the Crawley game we spoke about, and I don't think they did. So, yeah, it's it's difficult to answer against. Uh, sorry, it's difficult to argue for wholesale changes there. Uh, Fred, should we do our, our predictions? So if we start with you, Freddie, and then we'll go to Hugh, and then I will finish off myself. What are your predictions for Saturday's game at home against a third-placed Peterborough United? <laughs> Tough one. They're going to be very aggressive. I think they'll even take the lead, but I think Pompey have shown enough heart to uh, bring it back. I don't think they'll win, but it'll be a very competitive two-all draw. Two or uh, draw for, is an unusual for, shout. For, for, for goal scorers, I'll go with Colby Bishop and Dane Scarlett for Portsmouth. And for Peterborough, I have to say Ben Thompson because he's the ex-Portsmouth player and Johnson Clark-Harris because um, I think Peterborough will come out, they try and go out the gates really quickly, press very high, make a lot of dribbles on the, on the wings, but then Portsmouth will be able to settle it down and bring the game to a close because I think both teams will cancel each other out to a certain degree. Nice. Thank you, Freddie. Hugh Bunce, what are you thinking for this weekend? Hello, boys. You've been doing a sterling job. I uh, had some tech issues, so I've been listening to the last few minutes and thought, Andy, love the way you're hosting this. Doing very well. Nice one. But just give my prediction for the game. This is something I have prepped, and I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. I think it's going to be another goal for Dane Scarlett. Let's keep that ball rolling for him. And Johnson Clark-Harris for the posh. Nice. Thanks, Bunce. I'll go with a one-all draw as well, which is frustrating. I wish I'd jumped in before you there, Hugh. Uh, I think that having that sort of second choice right back starting could actually be an issue for Peterborough. I think that Curtis is going to find a way to exploit that down the left, so I think we'll score. But at the same time, I do think Clark Harris is too good a player to be kept quiet for the full 90. So I would say a one-all draw, and I would be pretty happy with the result if that is the case because we're showing so far this season that the team's doing pretty well picking up points against the teams in the division who are likely, hopefully, to finish lower than us at the end of the season, whereas um, Port Vale have dropped points against, say, Plymouth Argyle, for example. They lost uh, lost 2-0. They're, they're dropping points in games that you'd think they wouldn't. They got pushed by Cheltenham as well, 3-2. And, yeah, I just think they're going to drop points elsewhere. So if if we can take a point off them over the course of the season. I believe that will be a good result, like the three-all draw at Wednesday. Beautiful stuff. Uh, Hugh, I will let you uh, sum up and finish off the podcast. Now we've got your wonderful presence back after some technical hitches. I thought you were going to take it away there, Andy. I thought you were going to play up Pompey it. I wouldn't dream of it with you in the room. That's like blaspheming in a church. I, I, I'd just burst into flames if I did that with you on the call, wouldn't I? Well, maybe, but it sounds a bit odd. But Freddie, thanks for coming on the podcast. No worries, dude. Always always a pleasure. Love chatting with you a lot and uh, see you on Saturday if you're around. Indeed. And Andy Mitchmore, thanks for the podcast. Always a pleasure, Bunce. Yep. See you on Saturday. Looking forward to it. Famous Pompey win. I love that Freddie's sign-offs always have a slightly emotional tinge to them. Like, I love chatting to you guys. It's very, it's very heartwarming. Or I'm just like, cheers, lads. See you at the pub. It's a very different vibe, Fred. You're very much more emotionally mature than I am. 
I think the I think the vibe's just the same. It's just how you express it is different. But anyway, until next time, flower Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!